0: Hey there, old school wrestling fanatics. Ring announcer Sean Beckerman here, traveling on the road to an independent wrestling event. Tonight's edition is a special throwback episode. However, we will have brand new original BTB content debuting tomorrow night. In the meantime, guys, enjoy the show.
1: Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go Beyond the bow.
0: And you can feel the raw excitement from the look on their faces. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Night Raw. That is my impersonation of the voice that we've heard, oh, so many times during their early stages, the early part of Monday Night Raw history. Welcome to Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. And I'm your host, your personal ring announcer extraordinaire, Sean Backerman, back with you to bring you all Things Retro in Wrestling. This is a very special edition of Beyond the Bell as the 20th anniversary of Monday Night Raw is upon us. So in celebration of this milestone, we will look back at the greatest moments in Monday Night Raw history. Now last year we celebrated 1,000 editions of Monday Night Raw as the 1,000th episode came about in July, and here at Beyond the Bell, we celebrated that milestone with the greatest moments of Monday Night Raw. So, tonight, we go back to our specials from 2012, in celebration of Raw 1000, and play one jam-packed edition of Beyond the Bell for you fans tonight. This is a long one, but you will enjoy it. For those of you that missed the two-part series last year... We compile them together in one huge Raw edition. So let's get cracking. This is going to be a long one, but a good one. Enjoy the best moments in Monday Night Raw history here at Beyond the Bell. This edition of Beyond the Bell looks back at Monday Night Raw as we have the 1,000th edition awaiting. The monumental 1,000th episode of Monday Night Raw... Of course, it would be fitting to look back at the greatest moments in Monday Night Raw history. Earlier, we discussed the 10 year anniversary of Total Nonstop Action. We looked back at the greatest moments, matches, and feuds of TNA Impact Wrestling. And now, we look back at the number one promotion in sports entertainment, quite possibly the greatest promotion. Arguably, you can question many things about the promotion, but you cannot deny its success. Over the past 60 to 70 years, the World Wrestling Federation, predating to the WWWF, has provided fans with top-notch entertainment. They've revolutionized broadcast television, even to this very day. You see it on NFL broadcast, NBA, baseball, the production values... That were taken, it's, it cannot argue, it quite possibly could have been taken from the WWF slash WWE. So, tonight, it's so fitting to look back in chronological order at the greatest moments, the monumental moments in Monday Night Raw history that made us love this show and what made Raw so special and innovative. For its time, Monday Night Raw was innovative for the fact that we're used to canned television, besides pay-per-views, occasionally you would get your special Saturday night's main event, but Monday Night Raw was the first ever weekly live, live television extravaganza. Started out as a one-hour program, and it was a transition from primetime wrestling on the USA Network. And through 1,000 editions and episodes on Monday Night Raw, we've seen so many moments. Some great and some not so great. Some forgettable. Of course, we cannot hit every single point that made Raw so special. But we're going to talk tonight about some of the moments that triggered, in my mind, as the greatest of all time. Some of the moments that impacted me as a fan and lover of professional wrestling gravitated myself towards Raw towards the WWF and what made me such a fan of the World Wrestling Federation slash entertainment so fans buckle up this will be a long interesting and fun episode as we'll listen back to the clips of Monday Night Raw special clips comments from superstars looking back at these special moments but just reliving 1,000 editions of Monday Night Raw fans buckle up it's go time Take
1: from the streets
2: of a chilly New York City. But it is about to get very hot here in Manhattan. Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Mooney. A few minutes ago, it was a mob scene out here. Everyone braving the
1: elements to be a part of Monday Night Raw. But now they're inside set for the action. Hey, hey, wait a minute. What? Bobby Heenan. I'm what going doing? in there. No, 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 no. You, oh, you yes, hear, I am. You were replaced. I went replaced?
3: Yes, sir. Uh, by who?
1: Who replaced well, me. Rob
3: Bartlett, you're not okay uh, to be Rob Bartlett.
1: This is Monday Night Raw, live from New York City, That's and right. I've got to be in there to host it. No, no, you can't get in. I'm sorry. Well, what
2: do you mean you, I you, can't, you, can't get in? I can
1: get in. I can buy a ticket. No, they don't there, want me. there are no tickets left. It's sold out in there. They're jammed to the rafters. Well, then show me the press gate so I can get
0: through here. I didn't make up the rules here. I didn't You didn't make up the rules. January 11, 1993. The beginning of a legacy. The debut episode of Monday Night Raw. Make no mistake, fans, on this night at New York City's Manhattan Center, sports entertainment as it exists today was born. Unlike anything that had ever preceded it in the world of professional wrestling, Raw combined a large Rowdy crowd with worldwide television exposure. And WWE fans were treated to an experience that was uncut, uncooked, and uncensored. The kickoff episode featured appearances from future WWE legends like The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, along with host Vince McMahon. Randy, Macho Man Savage, and, uh uh-oh, Rob Bartlett. You can say nobody's perfect. From the Imus in the Morning show, fame from WFAN. I was a fan of Rob Bartlett from Imus in the Morning, because I was a fan of Imus. Thought it was very funny. I listened to it in the morning every day when I was getting up for school. Sure, maybe a little bit older program for my age group, but I enjoyed it. My dad listened to it. I liked it. Bartlett was hilarious on Imus, but terrible behind the microphone on Monday Night Raw but I was there for the first ever episode first ever edition January 11th of 93 I remember sitting there first row first row I suggest fans looking back be quite possible because he had pudgy short white kid in the front row uh, enjoying Monday Night Raw wearing his raw uncooked uncensored <laughs> and uncut shirt. I love that shirt. And the big red raw hat. Who could forget that? That was a great hat to wear. What a night. You could you could feel the electricity in the air. A small arena. An ECW type of feel before ECW was mainstream. It was a smaller arena. It was so loud because it was so small. The acoustics in there, from body slams to punches to any move that was made that hit the canvas. It was so dramatic and so loud. And it was electric, and it was exciting. I'll never forget it. You could sense history was being made that night.
1: match, I can't wait to see this, Coco Beware versus Yokozuma. you know the guy who's got that diaper thing going right up there in the middle between the Dead Man's Land and No Man's Land, and watch out, and for so good about Yokozuna, that's all I can think about right now, but also,
4: is <laughs> Damien Dementor, who is my favorite, The Undertaker, who
1: yeah. is yeah. Indeed we have never seen anything quite like Yokozuna before. Oh you got the biggest thing you're oh. well, thus far he is undefeated in the World Wrestling Federation May seventeenth, nineteen
0: ninety three, the kid upsets Razor Ramon. This is perhaps the greatest upset of all time and it happened on Monday night raw. When the kid arrived on the WWE scene in 1993, he was a jobber. A jobber extraordinaire, you can say. And would frequently be seen on the losing end of things. So when he faced off against rising star Razor Ramon on this episode of Raw, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Razor was going to be the winner. But then a funny thing happened. This match wasn't the squash that everybody expected it to be, as the kid hung in there... Despite getting pounded by Razor, this match ended when the Kid was able to surprise Razor with a moonsault off the top rope out of nowhere and get the three count. Razor got up instantly and looked shocked and bewildered. He just lost to this Jobber. The Kid went on to become the 1-2-3 Kid, and it was great to see a Jobber become a popular superstar in the matter of just three seconds. That's what makes wrestling so special. I remember sitting. I was towards the middle section of this episode of Raw. On I believe it was the the hard the hard camera shot right where the stands shot up at an angle. Um, the the middle section, uh, for lack of a better term. I remember eating, of course, budget kid myself. But I was eating my chicken fingers or whatever it was, and I remember just going to sit back because I didn't think much of the match. I thought it was a typical squash match and I'm getting ready to sit down and all of a sudden I hear one, two, three and I'm like, what happened? It, it was this a fluke or did, oh, Razor must have won easily and I look, the kid won it was shocking it caught me by surprise it actually caused me to spill my soda which got me so mad a shocking, surprising end but it made a career for Sean Waltman
5: let's just call him the kid oh, toothpick yeah, toothpick in the old eye routine by Razor Amal well, he's already doing better than he ever has Look at the disparity in the size here. This youngster.
4: Oh my! Razor Ramon is very, very, very
5: strong. Yeah, and he's very, very, very confident. Yes, he is, and very, very capable as well. He's the bad guy, and Razor Ramon, pretty much at the moment. Ooh.
1: Oh ah. man, handling this guy. Raw, raw, raw. The, the stalker guns back. I hear something go off. <laughs> oh my! Oh, and I can't. He will cut you to ribbons. else, the kid just bro- broke the pole ball
5: record on that. Yeah, he may have, huh? Do you
1: think that was the surprise Alfred
5: was talking about Scotty? Well, it certainly yeah. wasn't his fourth wife, as you made reference to earlier. No, certainly she went
1: he the out the up the stairs.
4: <laughs> he's on the to it up surprise the stairs. floor.
1: He did you're coming a little frantic. He's on a right That's
5: what he is. Well, I'm And Ray Ramon missing <laughs> in the roundhouse and oh, catches the this youngster, and he's really punishing this, Watch this, watch
1: this move. Oh! Oh, my. I'll tell you what, the kid made a great move right there. Unfortunately, the other half didn't
5: go his way. I guess not. Razor's just about ready to tear him in half. Razor Ramon playing around and having fun. You ever see the way a cat will get a bird
1: caught and knock the feathers off it yes. before it devours it? Uh, Same thing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Razor. Right. Razor. missing. Boy, he really came in with that elbow. Yeah,
5: I think that. Razor stays. We're
0: months later, July 19th, 1993. Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels. A lot of people say this, and I, for one, this was one of my favorite matches in Raw history by far. Especially being there, of course, live in person. I may note that being that I attended every Raw that first year in 1993, I saw many great moments, but this was one of my favorite matches ever in Raw history. You could say it may be biased because I was there live in person, but it's one of my early memories of Monday Night Raw, hence since it was the first year of Raw, but my one of my first memories of really enjoying the match itself outside of the performers, but enjoying the the technical wrestling side of sports entertainment. Shawn Michaels had ditched Genetti and slammed his head through the barbershop window, as we all know. So the rivalry was born between the two. Michaels was in the ring, cutting a promo about he would defend his Intercontinental Championship against anybody, anytime, anywhere. And Genetti came out of the crowd to challenge HBK to put his money where his mouth is. It was a fast-paced match, which ended in a delirium when Mr. Perfect came out and distracted Michaels, who was then rolled up by his former tag team partner, Jannetty, for the victory. It was Marty Jannetty's finest moment. He ran around the ring with his newly won championship held high. The crowd went nuts, I tell you. Raw was in its infancy at that stage of the game, and it was great moments like this that would help propel the show to um, the major success that it is to this very day. The shocking, unpredictable, uncut, uncensored uncooked moments of the inaugural year of Monday Night Raw. October 31st, 1994, the second year of Monday Night Raw, it started to expand, go outside the Manhattan Center, which I was a little bit upset with because I was so excited to have Raw in my hometown, New York City, every single week, but it made sense to expand this franchise outside of New York City to garner more attention worldwide. So it made sense for them to expand outside the Manhattan Center on a weekly basis. So, that leads us to 1994. There were some monumental moments, but one of the moments that triggered in my mind was, like we said, October 31st. The final appearance on Now We... know, for sure, of course, unfortunately, of Macho Man Randy Savage. The final appearance on WWF slash WWE television took place that night as the Macho Man still behind the broadcast booth in 1984, had the occasional match here and there, WrestleMania 10, he took on Crush, of course, as we remember, the occasional feud he was put into, but for the majority of the the time, Savage was behind behind the microphone, from the booth, dare I say. So this was a rarity to see Macho Man get involved in the action. I didn't know this was going to be his last appearance, and no one really did, unless you were dirt sheet writers or... I had backstage connections. Everyone thought Savage would continue on. But Savage made the save. Saving Lex Luger from the cross-faced chicken wing from Bob Backlund. The crowd went crazy. They still love Savage. This is one of the reasons why he left. He still wanted to wrestle. Even though he liked commentating, he loved wrestling even more. He still felt he had some years left in him. And like an episode, I believe he was on uh, a talk show... I think the Late Late Show, where they asked him, why did you go to WCW? And he said, I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. So it made sense to him want to, to leave. Granted, there may have been other issues with Vince McMahon, we won't get into right now, but made him leave to go to WCW. He wanted to wrestle, continue on, but this was his final appearance on Monday Night Raw. I'll never forget the Macho Man, one well, of the greatest of all time, Making his final appearance on WWF television on Monday Night Raw.
1: This is ridiculous! Finally, Packlett releases the hole Tatanka backs off. Wait a minute, it's right back on Top of Luger! Something has to be done about this! It seems like the officials can't even maintain control! We we'll have a lunatic like Tatanka! Get in between back, ladies and gentlemen, put the cross face chicken wing on, Lex Luger! I do not believe Luger gave up. Wait a minute, Backlund's coming back and doing it again. You gotta be ready! you got to sense it again. This is senseless. The officials can't do anything about it. Randy, I about to look in your eye. No, wait a minute. You got don't that look in your eyes. Don't move, Randy don't Savage. Don't move. This is not your fight. I can't stand this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, no, Randy. Randy Savage in the ring. Randy diving in there. Randy Savage trying to pull Bob Beckham off of Max Luger. Savage has him up. Savage wheeling away. Savage pounding away. On oh, the former champion, Bob Backlund. Look, oh, Bob Backlund. Getting out of the dodge. Getting out of the ring. Randy Savage taking matters into his own hands. Randy Savage, ladies and gentlemen, helping his friend Lex Luger. The officials could not do anything about it. The only question is, will Randy Savage suffer a suspension or a fine? Because of his actions in the ring, remember, he's not supposed to be in there at all. All well, I can say if somebody had to do something, and it was Randy Savage, ladies and gentlemen. Backlund had to hold a Lex River He was not going to let go. Backlund tried to make a statement, and indeed he did just that. You just hope the injury is not anything permanent.
0: Let's skip to November 4th, 1996. Pillman is packing heat. As the Hollywood Blondes in WCW, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin were the best of buds. But after a broken ankle, courtesy of the rattlesnake, sidelined Flying Brian, the friendship was over. And thus began a feud that culminated when Austin paid a visit to Pillman's home. Luckily, a camera crew was there to witness Pillman pull a piece out an actual gun. The screen faded to black. Explosive noises were reported and Austin was dragged away, while Pillman waved the gun at him, threatening to do him for good. Going into its fourth year, I mean, Raw was known for pushing the envelope, but this unsettling moment, you could say, was one of the few times any fan could even admit that things may have gone too far. This was definitely shocking television what we his around, again all the way to the back of the house screaming and yelling, got this, See, this is and stupid what, the hell is what do you mean here. well they got with a gun That's
1: stupid this, oh, What the? what the hell is that
2: this is stupid that's wrong
5: wait, wait a minute we do have we have reestablished i think we reestablished our feed stay with us this, this happened earlier tonight we're going to take you back, back live we're going to ta- that's what happened we lost we are live. This
1: is live. Power's
0: been restored. Man. This is,
1: I do not know where Steve Austin is. He saw the gun. He saw the gun and he left. Oh my God! He's back.
4: Shoot me! Shoot me! Let me kill Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let him go! I'm gonna kill that son of a bitch! Oh, Let, him go. Get out of Let him go! Call the police! Call the police! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Get him out of here! Get him! Come on! Let him go! Oh my
1: God! Let him go! Get Shut, up. Shut up!
4: Shut up! Come on Austin! Let's fire him! Come on Austin!
0: As you can see, things were going a little bit more on the edgy side for Monday Night Raw. We had the lean years quote-unquote for WWE from, you say, 94 to 96, but 1997 rolled around and that's when you could say that's when some attitude was being brought into Monday Night Raw. And on September 22nd, 1997 we saw for the very first time Stone Cold Steve Austin stunned Vince McMahon. Owen Hart had just earned a count-out victory over Brian Brian Pillman when Stone Cold came out and proceeded to beat the piss out of him, seeing how he was still feuding with the Hart Foundation. Vince McMahon then came in the ring, came to the ring, to stop security from tossing Austin and tried to reason with him. Tried to settle the rattlesnake. Vince explained that Austin could not continue to do that because he wasn't medically cleared by the doctors to compete and he was trying to look out for the welfare of Austin because of what happened at SummerSlam with Owen Hart pile-driving Austin with his broken neck. Austin acted as though he understood Vince's point only to turn around and hit him with the Stone Cold Stunner. This was momentous because... This kick-started the Austin McMahon feud, as it slowly started to turn Vince from horrible announcer. Well, you can say horrible announcer. I'm, I will, will always follow the commentating style of Vince McMahon. We discussed it from the booth because he made an impact on me. Was the most technical announcer. Turned him from an announcer into a deranged owner of the WWE. Within a few months, Austin McMahon would be engaged in a full-out war. And this is where it all started. And I'll admit too, I was there. New York City, Madison Square Garden, how special this was. You could feel again, history being made, electricity in the air. Raw was at its turning point. During this time, there was a major transition in the world of professional wrestling, especially on Monday nights. As WCW debuted Monday Nitro. So, 1996 was a dramatic year for professional wrestling. It was a year that marked a lot of historic change. Therefore, WWE was changing things, going more on the edgier side. 1997, like we said, Stone Cold Stunning Vince, the Attitude Era started to kick in for the World Wrestling Federation to compete with the competition ...of WCW Monday Nitro. The competition of Nitro where... ...RAW was the sole... ...the sole show, the sole... ...event on Monday nights. The primetime spot, primetime wrestling turned to RAW. The spot for Monday night viewing was reserved only for RAW... ...until Eric Bischoff and Monday Nitro came about. For the first time ever, RAW had competition... They had to adjust, change things, and therefore you saw a different Monday Night Raw come about. And the transition from Monday Night Raw to Raw is War came as we saw the Monday Night War take place, the war between WCW and the WWF. Hence, Monday Night Raw changing to Raw is War.
2: First stunner on Mr. McMahon was big. Madison Square Garden, and I think that's the best way to not just see a moment
1: but to live it. Steve had uh, been uh, stone cold stunning everybody, and everybody
5: knew eventually he's gonna get the boss. You gotta work within the system, that's all you gotta do.
6: I knew that was a pivotal moment because
2: all of the wrestlers were watching it. Here you have uh, a wrestler getting physical with his boss, the owner of the company.
1: You can kiss my ass. Oh
6: God. Mr. McMahon acting like a fish out of water afterwards Not so great, but a great moment all in all Austin is to jail.
0: 1987, a big year, like we mentioned Stone Cold stunning Vince for the very first time We also saw Brett screw Brett November 17th 1997, it was just a week after the most controversial night in sports entertainment history, we all know it, the 1997 Survivor Series, the wrestling world was abuzz, with debate, they were going crazy debating over the main event, which brought the Hitman Hart, was unceremoniously you can say, screwed out of his WWF Championship. Based on the knowledge of Hart's imminent departure to WCW and rumors regarding his refusal to give up his much-deserved championship, fans took sides. Some stood by the hitman, claiming he was disrespected and deceived. Mr. McMahon, however, did not. He stood by his actions, denouncing all critics, stating that Bret screwed Bret in one of the most controversial and historic segments in Raw history. JR sat down with the owner of the WWF, Vince McMahon. And you could say Mr. McMahon was born when Austin stunned him or when Bret shoved him down after that steel cage match. When Bret cursed or when they had the hockey-type fight where, where when Bret pulled, or should I say, when Vince pulled the shirt over Bret's head, they were fighting, punching each other. Some people say that was the beginning of the Mr. McMahon character, but you could say one segment had defined Mr. McMahon. And it was this segment where he stated, Brett, screw Brett. As you can see the black eye on Vince's face for when Brett punched him backstage after the Montreal Screwjob. By the time Bret Hart stepped
2: center stage for his matchup with Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, he had apparently already closed the door on his WWF career.
5: I uh,
7: was um, giving my 30-day notice to WWF. And right now, I'm under contractual review with both the WCW and the WWF. I'm leaning strongly towards going one way.
2: In the end, his actions spoke volumes. Let's cut right to the chase. Seven days ago at the Survivor Series, did you or did you not
5: screw Bret Hart? Some would say... I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would definitely tell you I screwed him. i look at it from a different standpoint. i look at it from the standpoint of the referee did not screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. And he can look in the mirror and know that.
2: I'm sure in some parts of the country right now there's a collective groan that you're not accepting responsibility that you orchestrated the situation, and the fact that uh, people are not going to understand what you mean by Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart, so what do you mean by that?
5: Well, I will certainly take responsibility for any decision I've ever made. I've never had a problem doing that. Not that all of my decisions are accurate. They're not. But when I make a bad decision, I'm not above saying I'm sorry and trying to do the best uh, about it that I can. Hopefully the batting average is is pretty good. I make more good decisions than I do bad decisions. And as far as screwing Bret Hart is concerned, there's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business that when someone is leaving, that they show the right amount of respect to the WWF superstars in this case who helped make you that superstar. You show the proper respect to the organization that helped you become... you are today. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition, and that's something I would have never ever expected from Bret, because he is known somewhat as a traditionalist in this business. It would have never crossed my mind that Bret would not have wanted to show the right amount of respect to the superstars who who helped make him and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Nonetheless, that was Bret's decision brett screwed brett
2: some folks along the internet know that in 1996 brett signed a 20-year contract with the wwf then i'm sure there are some at home now some folks are saying well how could brett hart be uh he's got 18 years left in the contract how can he leave did brett hart ask you to leave the wwf or did you ask him to leave the
5: wwf this was a joint decision and it, and it vacillated Somewhat as well, when we were making the decision. It was a joint decision from both Brett and me. And ultimately, what happened was that the two of us got together and orchestrated the opportunity for Ted Turner's wrestling organization to, quote, steal Brett. I felt that from bu- for business reasons, if Brett Hart and the salary we were paying him was not justified. And Brett felt that for for creative reasons, and in fact, that he had become sort of second banana in his own mind to Shawn Michaels, who had, quote, stolen his spot. So for financial reasons on my part and creative reasons on Brett Hart's part, the two of us got together and decided, okay, let's do the very best we can for you, Brett. So the two of us orchestrated Brett Hart receiving a three-year deal in which he is paid three million dollars a year which I believe is the richest deal in all of professional wrestling and that's working 125 days a year so I felt from a personal standpoint that if Brett wasn't a great investment any longer for the WWF although I really didn't want him to go but nonetheless the least I could do for Brett is to help him help himself. And I told Brett, Brett, if in fact you do get this deal from Turner, I'm going to be the very first person personally to congratulate you. And I was. From a business standpoint, I didn't really want to lose Brett. He wasn't paying off from a financial standpoint, but nonetheless, I really didn't want to lose Brett.
2: The certainly the uh, bitterness of the loss at the Survivor series could never be more prevalent. Uh, He stands in the ring, and he spits in your face. Uh, Shortly thereafter, he is destroying WWF television equipment. Were you prepared for what happened after the match?
5: I was disappointed in Brett when he hit me. Very disappointed. Um, I sustained a concussion as a result of it, with vision problems to this day. I'll get over it, um, and I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Brett seems to be crowing about that—that uh, that I've read, where you know he feels proud of of striking me. And it wasn't a question of a confrontation, because even at 52 years old, I dare say that perhaps things would have been a little different if there were a confrontation. I allowed Brett to strike me. I had hoped that he wouldn't. I'd hoped that we could sit down and try and work things out as gentlemen. That's what I'd really hoped for. But that's not what happened.
2: Have you considered uh, pressing charges or pursuing uh, legal remedies for that situation in his locker room?
5: I have considered it. I think those options are still available. I'm not pursuing it at the moment. I guess maybe it all depends on Brett as to whether or not I do.
2: If you were only a story writer Mm -hmm. and the Survivor Series was the final chapter in the life story of Bret Hart, the WWF years, how would you have preferred to write the final
5: chapter? As a storyteller, I would have hoped that Brett's story would be a dramatic one. I would hope that that Brett's story would be one that would give him dignity. That would give him the poise to state that I was maybe the greatest WWF superstar ever in terms of his departure. And one way of being able to give back to the company, being able to give back to those individuals, those superstars who helped you achieve the level of success that you have. When you know that you're leaving in a time honored tradition might have been, for argument's sake, that after the most grueling match that Brett ever had in his life, that Brett was pinned. But in that small moment of defeat, Brett would have stood straight up and shown the whole world what a true champion, both as a human being, and a wrestling persona he really is and if I had been Brett if I were writing the story I can see Brett after a one two three simply saying okay to his opponent you got the best of me I want to congratulate you I want to stick my hand out and congratulate you and furthermore I want everyone in the whole locker room to watch my match so that I can show For those who follow in my footsteps, the way in a time-honored tradition, this is to be done. To show every individual, every secretary, everyone in Titan Sports, the World Wrestling Federation, who counts on me to do the right thing, that I was there, that I was a superstar, maybe the greatest of ever, and I went out the way a true champion
2: would go out. Are you able to step back and, and object, objectively look at this thing and, and evaluate your friend, your perhaps former friend, Bret Hart, the human being, and have sympathy for this, this man?
5: Sympathy. I have no sympathy for Brett whatsoever. None. I have no sympathy for someone who was supposed to be a rustling traditionalist, not doing the right thing, for the business that made him. Not doing the right thing for the fans and the performers and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Brett made a very, very selfish decision. Brett's gonna have to live with that for the rest of his life. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett.
0: The date was January 19, 1998, where iron took on stone. Mike Tyson was confronted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was the moment that had everybody talking the next day and gave the WWE some of the first mainstream attention it had received in a long time, quite possibly since the rock and roll, or should I say the rock and wrestling era. Mr. McMahon had invited Mike Tyson to this episode of Raw to make a huge announcement that concerned the baddest man on the planet. Of course, this didn't set well with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who felt he was being overshadowed. And he came down to give Vince, as well as Iron Mike, a piece of his mind. Coming off a win at the Royal Rumble the night before, Stone Cold was ready to raise all sorts of hell. Even though Tyson seemed friendly towards Austin, Stone Cold was having none of that, and soon made it known that he wound that he would whip Mike Tyson's behind in a second. to cap it off, he flipped Tyson the double bird that did sit well with Iron Mike who shoved Austin from there. It was on. There was about a dozen officials that had to separate the two, and the moment hit all major outlets. Including Sports Center and various newspapers. That moment helped bring a lot of mainstream attention to the WWE, and it could be argued that this moment helped shift the tide in the Monday Night War. Nitro was handing, was giving it to Raw, and the WWE needed to turn things around to basically save the company. This was the moment that helped the shift. The attitude was now mainstream. Monday Night Raw. Mike Tyson
2: came out with a tremendous introduction from almost a P.T. Barnum-like introduction
5: from Vince McMahon. At this time, I would like to introduce to you a man who is simply the baddest
1: man on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, Iron Mike Tyson!
4: Yeah,
2: it was an
1: insult to me.
2: Was that just instinctive that... That you got in his face. That you. Have you thought to yourself? Did you decide coming out there you were going to do it? Did you decide when you got in the ring you were going to do it? had you thought about it the day before? How did that come about to where you confronted what many people say, and of course for the newspapers, the baddest man on the planet? You got right in his face
1: at WrestleMania in this very ring. Yeah. Iron Mike Tyson. Well- As soon as I got in there, I realized everything with me is ad-lib. It clicked in my head. I said, yeah, I'll flip the son of a bitch off and see what he's got. I ain't going to shake your damn head because I ain't out here to make friends with you. I respect what you've done in the boxing world. But Jesus Christ, son, when you step in this ring, you're messing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's something you don't do. But you're out here calling yourself the baddest man on the planet. Right now, you got your little beady eyes locked on the eyes of the world's toughest son of a bitch. Do I think you can beat my ass? Hell no. Do I think I can beat your ass? Why, hell yeah. I don't know how good your hearing is, but if you don't understand what I'm saying, I always got a little bit of sign language. So here's to you. Whoa! So he pushed me like a little girl, and everybody held me down. Basically, no one even held him. If he wanted me so bad, why didn't he come get me? Everybody was holding me down. Yeah, I flipped him off, you know. That's the way it goes. He's not the toughest son of a bitch in the world or the baddest man on the planet. When he steps foot in the WWF ring, he's stepping foot in my office. Do you uh, have
2: any regrets or any second thoughts about doing that?
1: No, I thought I made a hell of a picture.
0: April twenty seventh, 1998. D-Generation X invades WCW. One of the most monumental moments in WWE history, Monday Night Raw history, was when D-X invaded WCW. Megaphone in hand, D-Generation X invaded Norfolk, Virginia, to prove they were the future of sports entertainment. In the midst of the ratings battle between WWE and WCW, D-X showed up outside WCW Nitro, donning fatigues and chanting, WCW sucks. It didn't take long for WCW to order security to bar DX from the premises. Weeks later, DX returned, but this time they entered WCW headquarters in Atlanta. A herd of security descended on them in an attempt to stop the break-in. but when the guards arrived, instead of halting DX, they were asked for autographs. To signify victory, DX threw crotch chops and told WCW those painfully familiar words, those painfully familiar two words. I think you know them. As we saw Triple H, X-Pac, Billy Gunn, Road Dog, especially X-Pac and Triple H, demanding they release Hall and Ash, their buddies, to leave the NWO, leave WCW, to come join DX. It was so exciting, was so thrilling, it seemed real.
1: John. Today, we embark on a mission we have seen the enemy and they are near
8: wcw had raided our talent and they were hurting us in the ratings we had no fear whatsoever
7: of wcw so instead of them trying to take shots on their own tv show
1: and i wonder what vince mcmahon is thinking sending his little wannabes around problem with that is he only sends them where he knows I'm not going to be.
7: We went right to them.
1: This mission will start at the Norfolk Scope
8: with WCW, the wrestling. On the wrestling industry, you didn't even acknowledge the other guys let alone uh, drive up to their building and shoot a cannon at it. It was great. All DX is on top of it, like kind of an armored
7: car kind of thing, and we got like branches hanging out of our heads and stuff. <laughs>
8: it's great. Let's go! Nobody saw that coming. We walked right up to WCW's door, rang their doorbell, and when we answered it, we beat the s*** <laughs> out of them right on their own steps. <laughs> We didn't really know what we were going to do even. So we just took a megaphone out there and and just went crazy. X proudly
5: starts against WCW. Here were fans going to what they expected to see was WCW Nitro and here's DX out with a tank with a huge cannon on the back. They're firing guns off
1: and they've got a big old bullhorn talking about how Bischoff sucks, Nitro sucks
5: and hey come on out and confront us. I was pissed. I was really pissed.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, do you think Eric
8: Bischoff sucks? My punctual self, I was arriving in the building at about 5.30. There was traffic and there was, you know, and what it was is that when they were there, they had like the jeep and the artillery the cannon, and it kind of created a mob scene on the side of the street. And I was driving by and I just kind of like looked out of the corner of my eye and was thinking, I said, God, that, that was DX. If you're a fan, here you are, you decide you're going to go to the Nitro show. Then all of a sudden, here's some real live wrestlers. They're not in the arena standing 30 feet away. You're not watching them wrestle in the ring. They're standing right next to you, and they're in a Jeep with a cannon, and one guy's barking on a megaphone, and they're all right there, live and in person. And we've got cameras, and they just want to be a part of that.
1: What I'd like to know is, not from experience, but do you think WCW sucks? Of course.
8: (laughs) They got swept up in the moment, and next thing you know, they were all chanting WCW sucks, and you know, they were chanting DX. People were telling us they got their tickets for free. Did
4: you pay for your ticket to come here tonight? Hell no!
1: They're going to kill me at my own game here. They generation X when now visit the box
4: office in order to see if there are any more of the free tickets that they give away to try to up their TV every week. I say what's up to our boys, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. P-O-W-C-W, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people
8: go. I don't think there was any plan for them to retaliate. I mean, at that point, they were having a hard enough time making coffee let will a covert counter-strike. I don't think anybody's better at fighting than we are, because I don't think they ever saw that coming, and they wouldn't have been smart enough to do anything about it if they if they had. So, this is not going to be pretty, and I was right. I think that was one of the first big moves that this company made, actually, to, to regain its position, because it was a ballsy, arrogant, aggressive, ruthless move. I love that. The people were so ecstatic
7: because, you know, the the event hadn't started. Everybody was outside. We drove down right in front of the building.
4: We are going down! Down what? Down here!
7: What bummed me out is we went to the door, the garage door last. My thoughts on that were we should have went to the garage door first because they wouldn't have had no warning then.
4: Oh, they're Uh closing up!
8: they'd have been smart. They'd have opened their doors up and let us drive that tank right into their arena, right down to the ring. What would you have tuned into? The Nitro show that had DX driving a tank in, something you would never thought you'd see in your wildest dreams? Or the same wrestling matches you saw last week? I would to watch that show.
4: Go down. Go. go down. All the way down. We stand now at your door.
5: Four of those guys, they just, they were excellent together. You add China to the mix, and here you had a combustible element that you never knew what they were going to do, and you never knew what they were going to say. So it was always great television.
8: When DX did their stuff, it's like, we were doing our television, but if you, we'd try to find a monitor that was on on so we could to watch what those guys were doing. And we were watching. We were watching the TV. And, you know, if we're watching, I know a lot of other people were. And that's what was great about DX because he never knew what was coming next. I don't know if I'll ever have a period in my career that's going to match that. It became this huge movement. It was a really cool experience.
4: We now move on. Back to Hampton. Back to real wrestling. June 29th,
0: 1998. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane for the WWE Championship. After a thrilling King of the Ring pay-per-view the night before, which we saw Kane defeat Stone Cold for the WWE Championship in a first blood match, and McFoley get absolutely decimated by The Undertaker in a Hell in the Cell confrontation, the Texas Rattlesnake issued a challenge for a rematch on this electrifying edition of Monday Night Raw. The opening segment saw Vince McMahon celebrate with Kane. Vince had been trying to get the championship away from Austin for months, and he tried anybody and everybody to get this done. And as a result, Vince was interrupted by Stone Cold, who proclaimed the result of the first blood match was a sham, since it was The Undertaker's errant chair shot that caused Austin to bleed and subsequently lose the title. Then, in the main event of the show, Austin reclaimed the title in an intense brawl. The crowd went nuts. Kane appeared to have the match won, but when he went for the tombstone, Austin slipped away, bounced off the ropes, ducked under Kane's big boot, and shocked the new champion with a stone-cold stunner for the 1-2-3. New champion crowned. The fans in attendance, like I said, were absolutely crazy. They went nuts. It really was something to behold. I remember myself the excited face of one particular person, one lady, I think, in the very front row. She went crazy, went insane. The fans were nuts for Austin at this point. The Undertaker then got into the ring, and Austin stunned him as well. As the new champion left the arena, Kane and The Undertaker sat up simultaneously and glared at Austin from the ring. This was an intricate storyline that questioned whether Kane and The Undertaker were working together. And that moment added fuel to the fire. There was so much going on. It was so intricate and so intense. A brilliant storyline, a brilliant culmination. You could say only a one-day title reign for Kane, but it led to big ratings. The crowd went crazy and propelled Raw to the next level on Monday nights. July 6th, 1998. DX mocks the nation. The Nation of Domination and DX were in a bitter feud with one another, so DX decided to lighten things up a little bit by making fun of the entire nation. Triple H posed as the Croc and came out with the Rock's signature sideburns. His shiny shirt and sunglasses. X-Pac dressed up as Ms. Ark Henry. Billy Gunn was Kama. The Godfather, Road Dog was D Lo, or should I say B Lo, and comedian Jason Sensation dressed up as Owen Hart, complete with the huge nose and all. This segment had numerous funny moments, highlighted by the Road Dog repeating everything someone said and then going into the corner to shake his head like D Lo. Not to mention Triple H talking about the croc cooked up something in the bathroom. This was one of the funniest and cl- most classic segments. That remains one of Raw's most memorable, moment, memorable moments to this very day. This segment was historic, because it added the humorous side of Raw on top of that Raw attitude-like edge to it. You wanted to watch DX to see what they did next. They were shocking, hilarious, you could say sophomoric at times, but they definitely were entertaining. Get on the
1: crowd. Just came from the bathroom, the crock, and you should have smelled what the rock was cooking. <laughs> oh. When it comes to the crock and the ladies, and the crock hits rock bottom, he has no choice but to lay that smack down on himself. <laughs> you hear that? The brother smacks himself down. Oh, look at me though. Oh, man, can you imagine the rock? He's broken every piece of furniture in his living room right now. Hey, wait a minute, look at this guy. Is that his nose or they park a bus on his face? <laughs> Supposed to be Owen Hart.
4: Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. <laughs> man, it is Owen Hart.
1: Did you hear So that? what? Nobody listens to me. Nobody gives a damn what I think. And what the hell am I doing
4: wearing this ridiculous outfit? I look like a damn road sign! What the hell am I? A school
1: crossing? You know, I tried to be a tough guy, but I just couldn't grow my damn beard in! And you know what? I am not a nugget! I'm
4: a black heart, dammit! A winner! A soul survivor! Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Things are not well at Calgary tonight. That is, that is Owen Hart. And if anybody smells what the Rock is cooking, it's me. Look how big my damn nose is. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what the hell am I? An art mark?
1: <laughs> what does the brother look like? An art mark? look at Melo. I know you're the world's strongest man, and the Croc's got a hell of a body himself. But there's one thing... The people want to know, how do you get your pets to go all the way around your back like that? <laughs> oh, man. What he wants to know is how... Shut up! <laughs> Shut your mouths and know your role. Nation, it's real simple.
0: We got two words for you. Suck it! September 28th, 1998, Austin raises hell with a Zamboni. This was the night after Vince screwed Austin out of his WWE Championship by having The Undertaker and Kane both pin him for the title. Austin was, of course, pissed off, as usual, but seeing how Vince was surrounded by Kane, Undertaker, and a bunch of police officers, he wasn't going to come alone. Instead, he rode to the ring in a Zamboni, destroying everything in his path, and, after flipping the bird to everyone in the ring, gave a diving clothesline to Vince and beat him immensely. Beat him to a pulp until officers arrested him. This was just a fun, chaotic segment that showed that Austin was indeed crazy enough to do anything. Unpredictable television. And who could forget that big (laughs) blow-up that blow-up doll, that blow-up of whatever it was, of Stone Cold Steve Austin being thrown into the ring as this dramatic, chaotic segment of Austin clotheslining McMahon, uh, what a moment, and JR called it perfectly.
1: Will you Austin join us as we present the official WWF championship belt to the new World Wrestling Federation Champion.
2: I think McMahon's got enough security
1: around There's him. There's no question, Undertaker, that both you and Kane deserve to be
5: the WWF champion. The two of you single-handedly covered Stone
1: Cold Steve Austin for the championship. The two of you who have had tremendous battles between the two right of you. Wait a minute. I through with you not by a long shot.
0: It was October fifth, nineteen eighty-eight, where we saw the birth or the debut of Mr. Sacco. This was a week after Vince got his ankle broken by Kane and the Undertaker. Mankind went to the hospital to try to cheer up Vince. Mankind brought chocolates, balloons, and of course a clown, but he also brought along a new friend of his, Mr. Sacco. But When he went to introduce Vince to Mr. Sacco and try to kiss Vince's ankle better, Vince had a look of disgust that was priceless. And at first he asked nicely for Mick to leave until finally he said, damn it, leave. Later on in the night, Stone Cold gave Vince a little visit, but this one ended with Vince getting smacked in the head with a bedpan and getting raped by a rectal thermometer. This was just a classic skit that gave birth to one of the biggest phenomenons in in the late 90s and helped turn Mankind into one of the biggest faces in WWE history. It gave Mankind longevity in his career by creating the Mr. Socko character, the Mr. Socko spot, a new finishing maneuver, you name it. But also, the bedpan smack heard around the world that have, I was rolling on the floor by hearing the thud of the bedpan on McMahon's head. I know... Maybe a little, uh, <laughs> uh... A little demonic, you could say, or a little uh, sick on my end, but who can deny the hilarity of this skit?
1: What the hell are you doing? M- Mr. Sacco! Mr. Sacco was just a lame attempt to try to cheer up Mr. McMahon, who was being the world's crankiest patient. Hey, hey, ah! No, Mick, please! <laughs> Please. When I unveiled one terrible gift after another, be it the box of chocolate
6: that was half eaten, the uh, clown who did uh, tricks with balloon animals. Here's
1: a rainbow for you, so that you know that there are brighter days ahead. Have... It kind of wore away at Mr. McMahon until he finally kicked me out of the room and really made Mr. Socko with two simple words. The camera went to Vince, and he just looked and went,
0: Mr. Socko. Two years after the first incident. A gun pulled out again. This time, Steve Austin pulls a gun out on Vince McMahon on October 19th, 1998, just two weeks after the debut of Mr. Sacco. This was a memorable Steve Austin moment that surprisingly didn't make WWE.com's top 10 memorable Raw moments, which I'm shocked. Steve Austin had recently been fired by Vince McMahon, and, well, he wasn't going quietly. Austin stalked McMahon throughout the evening. Austin finally called Vince in his office and told him that his time was up Vince McMahon was in a wheelchair and was getting into his limo little did he know that the Texas Rattlesnake was waiting for him in the back of the car McMahon tried to roll away in his wheelchair to no avail Austin then took McMahon hostage the night culminated with Austin wheeling McMahon to the center of the ring Austin brought a hysterically crying Vince McMahon to his knees stood behind him and pulled out a gun Camel fatigues and all, Austin was there ready. Austin put the gun to Vince's head, pulled the trigger, and a flag that read Bang 316 popped out. McMahon was further humiliated by peeing his pants as Austin pulled the trigger. Austin topped the night off with a stunner and a great deal of re- revenge had on his former boss, Vince McMahon. January 4th, 1999 We enter the last year of the 90s, and one of the most famous quotes not not on WWF, WWE television, took place that made such an impact on WWE programming. That'll put a lot of butts in the seats. So said one snarky WCW announcer regarding the outcome of a pre-taped Raw telecast in which Mankind won his first WWE championship from The Rock. While designed to prevent viewers from flipping the dial, WSW's miscue did exactly the opposite, prompting several hundred thousand viewers to switch from Nitro to Raw. Soon after, viewers who switched to Raw actually switched back to Nitro, suggesting that WSW's tactic was totally unnecessary. As for butts in the seats, WSW hasn't seen one since they went out of business in 2001. But this was another mark of the era that took place, the transition of Raw, the evolution of Monday Night Raw. It started out initially as a weekly live television program for the Manhattan Center, live! Then, of course, it was live every other week, where they taped the following week, back-to-back shows. And they followed this pattern, even when they went to Raw is War, they would film, they would be live every other week, taping, typically the next night, meaning Tuesday, for the following week's Raw. Or occasionally filming back-to-back episodes in one night. So, typically, Raw was live every other week, as opposed to Nitro, who featured live content every single week on TNT. This was around the time when a transition was being made, where the WWE was debating on going live every single week. And this, which eventually led to the formation of SmackDown being filmed on Tuesdays, therefore, Raw being live every single Monday night. But this moment... Made such an impact because of what was done not on WWF television.
1: We understand that Mick Foley is going to win their world title. Oh, he's going to put some butts in the seat. No! No! Don't do it! Man, did it! Foley did it.
6: If I had to pick the most memorable moment in my career on Raw, it would be uh, winning the WWE title
7: for the, for the first time
1: achieved this dream and the dream of everyone else who's been told
7: you can't do it! It was something that was uh, I never thought I'd see.
1: He's come a long way since sleeping on the floors of Motel Sixes! New England, New England. It was coming at a
6: time in the middle of the monday night wars at a really pivotal time turned out to be not only a big victory for me in the ring but a huge victory for wwe in the ratings
0: who could forget what took place on march 22nd of 1999 the austin beer truck wrestlemania fever was on it was wrestlemania hype wrestlemania season was at its peak This is the definitive Raw moment. This was before WrestleMania 15, and it had Vince, Shane, and The Rock in the ring, gloating about how they were going to take out Austin at WrestleMania. After a couple minutes of kissing each other's behinds, Austin drove to the ring in a beer truck. The visual of seeing a beer truck driven into an arena full of people was awesome in its own right. But it didn't end there. Austin ran down all three men in the ring and when The Rock tried to respond Austin took out a hose, a huge hose and sprayed everyone in the ring with beer The image of Vince swimming in beer is absolutely priceless An awesome segment that shows why Austin may be the most popular superstar in the history of Monday Night Raw
5: I'm sure Shawn Michaels is having his little fun in San Antonio, Texas the commissioner That's alright Rock, you won't mind one more time taking mankind apart will you
1: matter of fact the rock will lay the
5: smackdown on his candy ass yes much similar to the greenwich street fight that we're going to see in albany new york check it out oh
1: you ready for WrestleMania. Give me a hell yeah. You damn right. Because Stone Cold Steve Austin has been jerked around long enough. And I will say this. With Paul White as a special referee or without him, it really don't make a damn. Because that belt is coming with me. And that's all I got to say about that. For the last few weeks... Shut your little lips. While I come down and punch your little glasses off right now. For the last few weeks, I come out here and I sit here and listen to you spend your little nursery rhymes about Jabroni Avenue or Know Your Own Boulevard. You better get your ass serious because Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to take his ass to Philadelphia, check right in to the SmackDown Hotel Roll right in to room 316 and burn that son of a bitch to the ground.
4: Oh,
1: whoa. Oh, the tonight. You look at me. Take your little glasses off so I can see your eyeballs. So pull them off because I want you to look right here. When that bell rings and the match is over, you are looking at the next WWE champion. And that's the bottom line for Stone Cold Sixer. So. King Stone Cold, Steve Austin is focused. As far as right now goes, the big celebration afterwards, Stone Cold's going to drink a hell of a lot of beer. But I think we ought to share a little pre-match beer right now. Hey, pre-match yeah. beer? He's going to break. I'll tell you what, hey, Stone Jabroni, you come out here and you make your idle threats like you're the great one, but obviously you're not. So the rock says you take that truck and drive it right back down. No Yoruba Boulevard. You drive it right back to Jabroni Drive and you check your camera.
0: This 9th, 1999, we saw the debut of Raw is Jericho. The World Wrestling Federation had been running a countdown to the Millennium Clock for weeks, and nobody was really sure what it was about. That question was answered on an episode of Monday Night Raw during a promo by The Rock. In the middle of Rocky's promo, the countdown screen appeared... Counting down the remaining seconds to the supposed millennium. Never mind that it happened on August 9th. Once the clock expired, the lights went out and a huge explosion followed until the words Jericho appeared on the Titan Tron. The crowd response was absolutely insane. The crowd went crazy for the debuting Jericho. Jericho then proceeded to give a great promo stating how he was there to save the WWE from mediocrity and finally give the fans something to cheer about. Go, Jericho, go! Go, Jericho, go! Of course, The Rock responded by tearing Jericho a new one, but that still couldn't take away the fact that this was the most entertaining, awesome debut ever. At least in one fan's opinion.
4: Welcome to
1: for the World Wrestling Federation. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I am Chris Jericho, your your new hero, your party host, and most importantly, the most charismatic showman to ever enter your living rooms, via a television screen. Uh And for those of you who do know me, well, all hail the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla! Got a nice haircut, I can say that! Now when you think of the new millennium, you think of an event so gigantic that it changes the course of history you think of a dawning of a new era? Chris Jericho has come to save the World Wrestling Federation. Now let's go over the facts. Television ratings, downward spiral. Pay-per-view buy rates plummeting. Mainstream acceptance, non-existent and reactions of the live crowds complete and utter silence and i know why you're silent you're silent because you're embarrassed to be here and quite honestly i'm embarrassed for you and the reason why you're embarrassed is because of the steady stream of uninteresting untalented Mediocre sports entertainers Who you're forced to cheer for and care for No wonder you're not cheering You can care less about every single idiot in that dressing room And especially this idiot in the center of the ring The Rock is going to explode, King, any minute You people have been led to believe that mediocrity is excellence Uh Uh-uh Jericho is excellence. And now, for the first time in history, you have a man who can entertain you. You have a man who is good enough for you. You have a man who can make you jump up off your chairs, raise your filthy, fat little hands in the air, and
4: scream, go, Jericho, go! Go, Jericho, go!
1: Go, Jericho, go! Thank you. The new millennium has arrived. And now that the Y2J problem is here, this company, from the front office idiots, to all the amateurs in the dressing room, including this one, to everybody watching tonight, will never, eh, 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 ever... Be the same again! After three boring minutes, The Rock says, know your role and shut your mouth! I second that. How dare you, little jabroni, come on The Rock show and not even have the class to introduce yourself? What is your name? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is! Oh no! You you. That way. The Rock says you talk about your Y2J plan. Well, The Rock has a little plan of his own, and it's called the KY Jelly Plan. Oh no! Which. (laughs) You know what that is, JR? Yeah. You do? Clean. You don't use the clean pipe, they are. Which means the Rock is gonna lube his size thirteen boot real good, turn that
4: some sideways oh. and stick it straight up. You can get it. Out. If you smell what the Rock is cooking the last word over uh, Chris get to think
0: about. September 27, 1999, Rock, this is your life. After attacking the Rock a night, after, a night earlier at Unforgiven, Mankind tried to apologize. Mankind tried to ask for forgiveness with a rocking birthday party for the people's champ. During one of the most entertaining segments and highest-rated segments in WWE Raw history, Foley dropped balloons and confetti throughout the arena and invited The Great One's high school sweetheart, home ec teacher, and football coach to the show. By the end, The Demented One presented The Rock with a rock and Sock Connection jacket and his very own Mr. Rocco sock and introduced Yerpo the Clown to sing Happy Birthday. Unfortunately, The Rock would harshly remind mankind his birthday is in May, not September. One of the highest rated segments ever on Raw featured. This was a lengthy segment. Vince didn't think it was that great as well, but the fans ate it up. It would be
6: impossible for me to talk about my favorite moments uh, in Raw history without addressing the This Is Your Life birthday party that I drew for The Rock.
1: Do you remember your 6th grade home economics teacher? How you doing, Mrs. Griffith?
5: Certainly I thought that a stroll down memory lane would bring out the
1: best in The Rock. The Rock says this, proceed to check directly into the Smackdown Hotel! Rock, say hello to coach, Everett Red Hart! The crowd was into every single thing we said. You made the Rock run sprints in front of all the Rock's fans. The Rock would like to take that whistle, turn that some sideways, and stick it straight up. You candy it off. The WWE
6: Universe decided and massed that this was a special moment.
1: Rock, this is your life. The Rock just wants to know what is your name. It doesn't matter what your name is.
0: The original wedding crasher took place on November 29th, 1999. We saw so many weddings in WWE history you know, dating back to the 70s and 80s, but this one was one of the most controversial. As the high class wedding of Test and Stephanie McMahon was about to begin, Mr. McMahon, who had banned all DX members from attending, this is when DX turned heel at this point, asked the crowd if anyone wished to object all seemed well because honestly who would dare object to a mcmahon wedding enter triple h the cerebral assassin appeared and unveiled a film that showed himself kidnapping stephanie from her bachelorette party drugging the chairman's daughter and marrying her while she was unconscious the shocking abduction proved to be a ruse and the mcmahon helmsley era began 2000 was upon us and so was the mcmahon helmsley era as we left off with the wedding of Test and Stephanie that Triple H invaded. Wasn't just the first invasion that he he was participating in on Monday Night Raw. Nevertheless, the mcmahon Helmsley era was in full effect. Full steam ahead. And on April 17th of the year 2000, we saw that power and the impact they played in the WWF. On the night, we saw Y2J Chris Jericho win the WWE title. Only to have Triple H have the referee Earl Hebner rescind the declaration, rescind the decision, and declare Triple H still WWE champion. It will mark one of the most memorable moments because the fans went crazy for the Jericho win. They finally thought they saw Jericho win the big one, win the WWF championship, only to have the dusty finish pulled out from under them and represent the title to Triple H, voiding any record book showing of Jericho winning the title that night. Jericho would not win the championship until approximately two years later. So when we look back at it, quite possibly they may have missed the boat with Jericho when they should have taken advantage of the popularity of Jericho at the time, but The Office was not behind Jericho at that point. They still weren't sold by his in-ring work. But you cannot deny this moment was one of the most memorable in Raw history. March 26, 2001. Raw beats Nitro for good. If you tuned in to WCW Monday Nitro on this night, you saw Shane McMahon standing in the center of a WCW ring. Yes, you heard me right, fans. On Raw, Mr. McMahon stood glowing in front of a Cleveland crowd, bragging about his much-publicized purchase of WCW. But when the chairman signaled for the TV's feed to switch to Nitro, he was met with a familiar face. Son Shane McMahon, who was revealed as the owner of WCW. The name on the contract to purchase WCW was, in fact, McMahon, but it, the first name was not Vince. It was Shane O'Mac. On this night, while not directly a victory for Mr. McMahon, on TV, this night was a victory for World Wrestling Entertainment. One of the most monumental moments in the history, not just of Raw, but professional wrestling. A simulcast between Raw and Nitro.
1: Shane McMahon is on Nitro! What in the
2: Shane McMahon showing up on Nitro was more shocking to me than Eric Bischoff showing up on Raw. What's up, Vince? That was a big surprise when Shane showed up on Nitro, no doubt about that.
1: Your ego has gotten the best
0: of you.
9: Seeing Shane with that Nitro logo might have been the strangest thing that I never thought I'd see in our industry.
0: The
1: deal is finalized, and the name on the contract does say McMahon... However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. God! I don't believe it. I now own WCW. Shane McMahon has bought WCW, and Mr. McMahon is an absolute shock.
0: July 9th of 2001, such transitional year in professional wrestling was 2001. Paul Heyman announces the rebirth of ECW. Sure, this may have kicked off the ill-fated invasion angle, but who didn't mark out for this moment? Who can deny that? Chris Jericho and Kane were in a match against Lance Storm and Mike Awesome when out of nowhere, RVD and Tommy Dreamer came out of the crowd and started to attack the WWE guys. This brought up members from the WWE locker room, including Taz, Rhino, the Dudleys. It seemed as though the cavalry had arrived. But those guys turned on Jericho and Kane and started to help RVD and Dreamer beat them down. Heeman then told JR to feel this moment when he got up from the announced position and stated that these men were to become extreme for this WWE-WCW war and that ECW had risen again. This was just a truly unpredictable segment that instantly turned a rather mundane storyline into something interesting. It put a much-needed spark in the invasion angle. Oh, wait
1: a minute. What the hell? CW guys. What the hell are they doing here? That's security. Get them get these guys out of here. What the h wait a minute! What is this? That's 402, this it's two WCW guys
4: You tell not you
7: California. It was in August of 2001, and I just remember seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin's face when I came out. He didn't know whether to cry or laugh. It's a damn milk truck!
1: Kurt Angle's driving! A milk truck right up
7: to the ring! When he came out, and in front of the crowd, and just the electricity that was out there, and he came out, it was just a cool sight to see. I kind of forgot that I was in the ring. I was just watching it as a fan. And, wow, this is really cool. I would have to say that it was one of the biggest reactions I've ever seen the crowd get into. It was every bit as big as when Stone Cold Steve Austin ran that beer truck in and sprayed down Vince McMahon. It was that same reaction, but it was so much funnier because it was a milk truck. And, and obviously my character, I drink milk.
1: I ain't gonna throw milk cartons at
7: the Alliance! Kurt, it was just, like I said, he was just beaming us with those milk cartons. They're just as hard as he could throw them. I don't think they knew what to expect from there, but when I pulled that hose out and I started spraying down Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Stephanie McMahon, and, and everybody else, I got even a louder eruption from the crowd.
1: I don't know a lot about milk trucks, but I, mean, I don't know if they actually come with a fire hose filled with milk. Oh my God! It's milk! It's milk! milk is running wild! It's Milkman Magnus, my God!
7: It's just funny to see everybody spilling, falling, getting back up and falling again, and uh, especially Stephanie. The milk truck
9: scene with Kurt Angle was probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. The million dollar
1: princess has become a dare!
7: She was really reacting great. She'd fall down, get back up, I'd spray her in the face again, she'd fall down again.
4: Kurt coming
9: out with the milk truck of all things and spraying us all down and seeing who got out of the way and got put back in the way and, you know, all all the scrambling around, it was great.
1: I was pretty much right in the front line. I was uh, just to the left of Stephanie. A couple of the little pretty boys on the back trying to hide. They want to get the milk in their hair. I guess people said I was cowering in the corner, but
7: I think I pulled someone in front of me and kind of used them as a shield to protect myself. <laughs> Didn't work out too well, though. I was zoning in on Steve, but when I saw Stephanie flying all over the place, I started spraying her even more.
9: I've been sprayed by a number of things in the ring. Um, So the milk was probably lesser of a lot of evils, except it just smelled real bad.
7: We weren't using real milk. Uh, That would have been something else. We used food coloring, white water, and it worked out tremendously. Obviously, the milk I drank was real, but uh, the hose, it was a water. It was a hookup to the back, and uh, they had some kind of filler that brought the the white powder in on it, and it looked like milk, and it worked out really good. I was was right next to Tommy Dreamer and he really will eat anything. Well, there's cookies in the ring, and people were stepping on them, and, you know, the mat was dirty, and there was milk all over the place, and they were all soggy. And I seen Tommy Dreamer in his nasty self pick up one of the cookies and eat it. It was stuck to his shoe, and he proceeded to uh, peel it off the sole of his shoe and eat it. And I found that uh, kind of amusing, you know. I don't know how bad the arena smelled uh, you know there wasn't much milk, real milk thrown around the arena but I know how bad I smelled. I didn't have my wrestling boots on so I had the shoes that I was wearing that day and I had to fly home that night uh, and I had the same shoes on and man they stunk the whole plane up uh, within hours it, it smelled like sour milk in the plane and I was so embarrassed I, I didn't want anybody else to know I, I kind of took my shoes off and put them underneath the, uh, the seat in front of me uh, God bless the guy that was standing in front of me or sitting in front of me but I um, uh, I just kind of sat back and I just started laughing, thinking, okay, everybody thinks I, I smell like sour milk, or somebody does around here, but I didn't want anybody to know it was my shoes.
1: And now he's pulling out the heavy stuff. It's homogenized. Kurt Angle is the Olympic Dairyman. Milkomania has run wild.
7: It was a special moment. I hope someday I can get that reaction again. I don't know if I will, but at least I had it once.
0: The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, returns to the WWE on November 19th, 2001. This was the night after the WWE had defeated the Alliance for complete control of the WWE. This gave Vince 100% control and he planned to use his power to take the title away from the Alliance's Stone Cold Steve Austin and give it to Kurt Angle. Before he could do that though, some familiar music hit and out came The Nature Boy in All His Glory. That was the first time Flair was on WWE television in eight years, and the fan response was deafening, which should have been expected since they were in the nature's hometown of Greensboro. We hadn't seen Ric Flair since 1993, the inaugural year of Monday Night Raw, where he lost a Loser Leaves Town match, a career-ending match between himself and Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. Great match between the two. I was there to watch. The end of Flair's WWF career, I thought that was the end of the Nature Boy, but he's back eight years later on Monday Night Raw. Flair then came to the ring to reveal that Stephanie and Shane had sold their rights to the company to the Nature Boy, so now he was a 50-50 partner with Vince McMahon. This was a great way to bring Flair back, and a very memorable segment indeed.
1: When we unveil a superstar, I think the
8: anticipation is huge. We always try to make that first night seem as big as possible.
1: Allow me to... Wait a second.
8: To me, it was the rebirth of the Nature Boy. It
1: can't
2: be what I think it could be.
8: The people did have a religious experience.
2: But it is!
4: What?
0: There's the Nature Boy! In 2002, we saw the Invasion Of the N-W-O, the New World Order was on Monday Night Raw. Hollywood Hogan and his New World Order buddies Scott Hall and Kevin Ash entered the WWF at the No Way Out pay-per-view on February 17th of 2002. The next night on Monday Night Raw, Hulk Hogan and The Rock shared the same ring in a magical moment. Both men talked smack at each other for a while and decided to fight each other at WrestleMania. The match was on. After shaking The Rock's hand, Hogan and his NWO buddies beat up The Rock. When the ambulance came to take The Rock to the hospital, the NWO commandeered the ambulance and trapped The Rock inside. They then ran the ambulance over with the front of an 18-wheeler truck. Take that last part out of it. The image of seeing Hulk Hogan and The Rock face-to-face, looking at each other, then looking at the other end of the... Of the crowd, and they switch glance at each other, then look at the other side of the crowd, that image tremendous one of the most monumental images in the history of Raw, I know I've been saying that a lot over the past two episodes but the image of those two looking at each other, just the possibility of the dream match between The Rock and Hogan was right before our eyes
1: there'll never, ever be a bigger star in the wrestling business than Hollywood Hulk Hogan How do you feel about headlining one more WrestleMania with The Rock? It does it, time-
0: From one memorable moment to another, from Hogan and Rock staring at each other eye to eye to the return of Ric Flair to another unprecedented moment that no one had ever imagined would take place, Mr. McMahon and Eric Bischoff hug on Monday Night Raw on July 15th of 2002. I was there. It was in New Jersey. I could not believe it. There are some feelings you get when you arrive in an arena. I've been over to over 450, 500 wrestling events. I have to actually do an exact count to see. I'll let you know, fans. Give me a couple of weeks, I'll get the exact number. But I've been to so many events that you, know, you get a feel sometimes when you arrive in the arena, if this is going to be an electric night or just another run-of-the-mill show. When I got to the arena that night, the Continental Airlines Arena at the time, before the IZOD Center, I sat down in my chair, you know, right before i think they were filming for sunday night heat and you got a sense that something was a buzz you were feeling something was about to change professional wrestling as we knew it was going to change it was something i couldn't i can't describe it you just felt the electricity uh, looking back at it you, know, you of course you could see why but i knew something was going to happen that night and in one of the most shocking raw moments of all time, Mr. McMahon appeared on stage, hand-in-hand, hand, with the devil himself, Eric Bischoff. In this completely surreal moment, the chairman announced that the former president of WCW would be the new general manager and face of Monday Night Raw. As they were splitting, of course, like we said, the GM of Raw, GM of SmackDown as Vince McMahon and Ric Flair battle for control over the WWF. And once they split between controlling shows, Flair controlling Raw, Vince controlling SmackDown, then with Flair Flair losing to McMahon a few weeks later, and thus controlling the WWF once again, they decided to keep the segregation and have a GM of Raw, a GM of SmackDown. So, this Raw GM was needed. And in front of a perplexed crowd and the superstar locker room, I was shocked. Bischoff entered the ring to cut his first WWE promo. In spite of being Vince's former rival, Bischoff commended Mr McMahon on beating WCW and the duo ended the freak show with an uncomfortable embrace. They would hug and stop and hug again. A shocking moment in the history of Monday Night Raw.
1: Allow me to introduce you to the new general manager of Raw. His name is Eric Bischoff. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Eric Bischoff, and I used to run WCW. Not that watered-down version, by the way, that invaded this company but the real deal you see when I ran WCW I became famous that's right I was the only person ever able to take it right to Vince McMahon that would be me remember those battles And that's true in fact when Vince was out here a couple of weeks ago talking about ruthless aggression, just who the hell do you think he was talking about?
2: He's ruthless, folks. Very
1: ruthless. That, of course, would be me. I personified ruthless aggression. You got that right. When Vince McMahon needed star power, I was ruthless. Hell, I signed everybody he had. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Roddy Piper. It went on and on and on. Hell, I was like a kid in a candy store. I signed Bobby the Brain, he didn't mean Gene it just, just for the hell of it. Just because I could
2: just for the hell of it. People's lives
1: involved here. But what I really did is I took this little family business, this McMahon Monopoly, and I gave it one big swift kick in the crotch. And it was sweet. In fact, while Vince McMahon was on trial with the federal government, Uh he took his eye off the ball and I rated his company dry and for all of you people who say the only reason I was successful is because I had Ted Turner's money I've got news for each and every one of you I was successful because I was innovative in fact I was cutting edge remember remember back when raw was taped every other week and nitro was live and i decided to go on the air two minutes before raw and i gave away everything that happened on raw so you people didn't have to watch it Ooh, damn
2: well, that was innovative i suppose
1: that was ruthless and it was a little aggressive but it worked and how about alundra blaze you remember her It's just woman's world champion. I signed her away, and I said, Hey, Alundra, bring your belt to Nitro. She didn't really want to, but I made her because she worked for me. And I had her go out on national television and throw it in the trash. (laughs) That's,
2: That's innovative.
1: That would kill me. It was a little ruthless. It was a little aggressive, but it worked. But you know what the important thing was? is I forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did television. I did. Because in Nitro, I gave away a competitive main event every week with big stars. Hell, WCW Nitro changed the face of sports entertainment forever. And I single-handedly forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did business so he could keep up. With me. That was beautiful. Hey, remember when I created the NWO? Cutting edge. Ruthless. Aggressive. Not some stale retread. Jerry, this is surreal. It's a legend in his own mouth. Nitro beat Raw 84 weeks in a row. 84 weeks in a row, and I came this close. Can you see it? This close to putting this company out of business forever.
2: And he's proud of it. Single-handed
1: Why would Vince... So naturally I was a little surprised when my phone rang. Not on the other end was none other than Vince McMahon. And he said, hey Eric, what do you think about becoming the general manager of Raw? I got to tell you. I was surprised. I was damn surprised. But then the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. Because you see, if there's one person, one person who can take this struggling franchise and turn it into a national media powerhouse, well, that would be me. You could be right, JR. And it's going to start right here on Raw. And we're going to kick it off this Sunday at Vengeance. Because there was one thing that I really wanted to do when I was running WCW. Never got the job done. One piece of talent that I could never sign away just one and I'm absolutely convinced absolutely convinced that if I would have been able to sign him that right now today Nitro would be on the air and Vince McMahon my new best friend with all due respect would be working for me but that's okay because it's not going to be the NWO that signs Triple H uh uh that would be me. What? And for all of the rest of you in the back, some of you I've had a chance to work with, some of you I'm meeting for the very first time, one thing I'm sure you'll all agree on is that people generally like working for me. It's really not about the money. Truly, it's not. People are drawn to winners. You people are drawn to winners. Mr. McMahon was drawn to a winner which is why he hired me. Let's face it, the WWE needs me. You people deserve me. And there's one thing I wanna promise each and every one of you people, I am here to put the E in WWE.
0: On February 21st of 2005, the animal turns the tables. For two straight years, Batista was known strictly as Evolution's clenched tooth muscle-bound enforcer. That all changed when, after winning the Raw Rumble, Batista caught wind of an imminent betrayal at the hands of Triple H and Ric Flair. At the contract signing that would determine whether he would jump to SmackDown or stand Raw, the animal scooped Triple H up and deposited him unceremoniously through a table, striking out on his own and becoming world heavyweight champion at WrestleMania 21. Stepping out from under the shadow of evolution, Batista went from uh, a hired thug, a hired gun, to a gold-carrying superstar. What made this storyline and this moment so special for Raw was the build-up for this. The tension you start to see between Triple H and Batista... The tension between Evolution and Ric Flair being involved, all culminating with Triple H trying to convince Batista to go over to SmackDown so they both could become champions of each brand. And you saw a new star being developed in Batista, done so well, it was a slow build, and it was a great moment on Raw.
3: You see, Dave,
8: we have an opportunity to do the greatest thing that has ever been done in this industry
1: we owe it to ourselves we owe it to the world you and i to walk that aisle with the nature boy rick flair side by side owning this business doesn't seem like a difficult
8: decision to me at all dave it really doesn't and i've got a feeling you know what you want to do big man don't you You know what you want to do.
7: Hunter, I've known what I was going to do
4: for a long time. in the world
0: June 6th of 2005, John Cena was drafted to Monday Night Raw. John Cena was quickly becoming one of the most popular superstars in the entire WWE, when he won his first WWE title from JBL at WrestleMania 21. His popularity continued to grow from that point on until he was clearly the number one face in the company. The only problem was that the champ was on the B-Show, SmackDown, so he wasn't getting as much exposure as his counterparts on Raw. That all changed when he became the first pick in the 2005 WWE draft. To the shock and surprise of everybody, you know, they really, no one really expected the champ to be the first pick, and the crowd pop was insane once they heard Cena's music. He immediately got tangled up into a feud with Chris Jericho and Christian, and once Batista left for SmackDown, he was immediately the top dog on Raw. Eventually, a lot of cheers would turn into boos and Cena would become probably the most controversial champ in history as some fans adore him, with others despising him. But Cena's meteoric rise to becoming the face of the WWE all started with his move to Monday Night Raw.
1: Would you please welcome my guest tonight, the very first pick of the draft lottery! Come on down! Who is it? Who is it?
2: Is it a here or she?
1: Come on out! Well, whoever it is, they're late. Is there really somebody... Do you realize, stack plus our He's the WWE champion. And he's here on raw now. This is unbelievable. How did Bischoff manage this? The luck we of the draw, King! The luck of the draw on the draft lottery! John Cena! In weather, never I got the call. They say John Cena is officially raw. So I do it how they do it in St. Louis, baby. The champ is her!
0: On July 11, 2005, the Hardy Invasion takes place. The love triangle between Edge, Lita, and Matt Hardy was so tawdry and so over-the-top that it could have come right out of a Telemundo so opera or a graphic love novel. This bubbling stew of betrayals, women, and broken dreams finally balled over at the Continental Airlines Arena, which, of course, I was present for at the same time. This is where, during a grudge match between Kane and Edge, a maniacal Matt Hardy stormed the ring and made his first appearance since being fired months prior. Sweaty, wild-eyed, and screaming, the sight of Hardy looking like an escaped mental patient had all of us reaching for our pepper spray. Now, the Raw wasn't too exciting, I think, at the time, if I remember back, but I remember this moment creating a buzz and the fans chanting loudly for Hardy, Hardy. Another moment that, maybe because I was there was monumental for Raw. And what made this segment even better is that what felt real because the storyline was based on real life and it seemed as if Edge and Matt were taking very stiff shots at each other.
1: I can lead a penny. That's right, my coach. I think. Alan, you bastard! I'm gonna make your life miserable. And Lita, you whore! I'm gonna make your life miserable too. And the WWE can kiss my ass! Come, come on, come and ring it, All right, WWE can kiss my ass!
4: you ready yeah you know this you think you can tell us what to do huh you think that you can tell us what to wear you think that you're better well you better get ready and bow to the masters bring it down
0: DX Mark II took place on June 19th of 2006. For years, one question on every fan's mind was, will DX ever reunite? Their answer came this night in Rochester, New York, when the Titantron lit up with the chaotic images that comprised of DX's signature entrance video and a neon... Green light illuminated the entrance ramp, clad in signature black tees and jeans, and strutted out to a flurry of pyro, Triple H and Shawn Michaels took to the ring and celebrated the long overdue return of Sports Entertainment's most celebrated bad boys. The sophomore crew was back. And even if you tried to stop them, DX was back and in full force. This was one of the greatest moments in Raw history because of the fact that DX was returning, not the composition of X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws, but the original, Triple H and Shawn Michaels. The image of the two of them back together inside the squared circle was definitely a memorable moment in Monday Night Raw history. Throughout the years of Monday Night Raw history... We saw so many moments that will be entrenched in our minds. And of course, no one for, can forget the multiple moments of the Mr. McMahon character. Mr. McMahon is famous, especially on Monday Night Raw, for his infamous write-offs. The Mr. McMahon character is definitely a dynamic one, to the point where he you, you cannot just leave television in an easier, common fashion. He must make a mark when leaving the storyline scene. So I just wanted to break down the multiple instances of Mr. McMahon and his infamous TV write-offs. Who can forget 2007, when Vince McMahon was killed in a limo explosion? It was June 11, 2007, and WWE tried a storyline with Mr. McMahon getting into his limo, only for it to explode. McMahon was presumed dead, and the storyline was followed out so perfectly that WWE's corporate office had to issue an official statement denying McMahon's actual death. Two weeks later, a three-hour Raw planned to be a memorial for McMahon ended up, ended up being the actual Chris Benoit tribute show. After the shocking passing the previous weekend, McMahon actually stood in the ring of an empty arena and broke kayfabe, showing the line from storyline and reality. This would all lead to them basically dropping the limo explosion angle and the death of McMahon, which would lead to McMahon... Embracing the break in kayfabe fashion and turning his way off television into a selfish cry for help by his character. It turned out to be that McMahon supposedly staged his own death to see what people would say about him if he had a funeral. The self conscious, egotistical McMahon killing himself to see what others would say about him. It made sense for the situation they were under but they definitely, I think, had big plans for the who done it of killing Mr. McMahon. Because of this change in storyline, McMahon actually had a new storyline put on television with his illegitimate son being revealed. It wasn't a solid storyline, but for having just a few weeks to scramble for something, it did the trick. It still had the impact of a major league angle involving McMahon. It was going to put Mr. Kennedy on a new level as a member of the McMahon family. Internet rumors leaked the result, and the answer was changed to Hornswoggle, unfortunately. Apparently our new anonymous general manager. It wasn't until June 2008 that WWE would try it again. This was when Mr. McMahon would give away $1 million across the episode of Monday Night Raw. After a, week's, after a few weeks of this, weeks and weeks of giving away McMahon money, WWE money, the stage collapsed on Vince, injuring McMahon in a pile of rubble. Surely this would be the way to end the need for the boss. We were wrong, though, as McMahon would come back in January of 2009 as a part of the Chris Jericho storyline with Stephanie McMahon, as well as getting involved with Randy Orton in the WWE Championship at that year's WrestleMania. The following June, you see a pattern here, folks? McMahon would announce the sale of Monday Night Raw to Donald Trump, a man who won a bet with Mr. McMahon at a WrestleMania, forcing Vince to have his head shaved bald. Mr. McMahon would eventually buy the show back from Trump, which prompted McMahon to have weekly Raw guest hosts, as we all remember that era of Monday Night Raw, which we love so much. Summerfest, ladies and gentlemen. Barbershopwindow.com to get your official Summerfest t-shirt. Plug, plug, plug. McMahon would appear randomly until Bret Hart was a guest host on January 4th of 2010. After harming Hart, McMahon would have a match at WrestleMania against the Hitman in a losing effort. Hart would become the general manager of Raw for a brief time, but then dealt with the debuting of the Nexus, which leads us to one of the most dramatic endings to Monday Night Raw. One of the most dramatic and chaotic endings in the history of Raw. Quite frankly, one of the greatest cliffhangers Raw has ever seen, and that is a bold statement. We saw many great cliffhangers. Austin and Kane battling on top of the Hell in the Cell. Many other cliffhangers on Raw history. the Choppy, choppy, you pee-pee. Maybe not with Val Venus, but many other endings to Raw which left us hanging. That's what made Raw so special, especially during the Attitude Era where you they were trying to get you to tune in the following week to see what would happen, what would the follow-up be from that show-ending angle. But none, you could say were as surprising as this ending on June 1st of 2010. The first season of NXT had just wrapped up and the winner was Wade Barrett. After winning, many wondered exactly what the prize for the rookie would be as well as what would happen to the other NXT rookies who lost. It was revealed that the rookie who won would receive a WWE contract as well as a championship match at a pay-per-view of his choosing. While the losers were out of a job, you'd say. Maybe they go back to FCW? Who knows? This news came as a surprise to fans of the NXT rookies, so when Barrett and the rookies essentially attacked the June 1st edition of Monday Night Raw, it was both unexpected and left a lot of fans scratching their heads. The rookies, who had seemed so innocent and inexperienced, were all of a sudden wreaking havoc on the WWE. They seem dark and ominous. Almost methodical in their attack. Where most takeovers usually end when the invaders take out the main event wrestlers, this one continued into a destruction of everyone and everything. They demolished the ring, the ringside area, the announcers, the timekeeper, even the various production members who happened to be at ringside. They even took down the ropes and masse. They destroyed everything. I remember watching this on TV. And I thought it was another... Hum-ho, ho-hum, is that how you say it? Another regular edition of Monday Night Raw. And I was on the computer doing some research, what have you. Maybe editing my videos of, of ring announcing. I think that's what I was doing. Anyway. All of a sudden, I just see chaos happen on TV. And, and it left me with my jaw dropped. I could not believe it. It made me feel... As if this was the next NWO moment. This moment was it was especially violent, and you could say it's mainly due to the actions of Daniel Bryan, which I think made the moment as well because it was so real. This is when Daniel Bryan got his hands on Justin Roberts. Maybe I maybe this is personal. Maybe that's why I love that so much. No, no offense on on Mr. Roberts. The camera caught Bryan strangling Roberts with his own tie the action was perceived as too violent for the WWE PG landscape. Bryan even capitalized on the release by working the independent circuit, because eventually WWE had to let him go as a result of this. But, nevertheless, Bryan did come back, but this seemed so real, so effective, that people thought this was a truly violent act. As weeks went on, of course, the Nexus wreaked havoc, havoc on the WWE, through random run-ins and backstage attacks on the whole WWE roster they even attacked CM Punk you know, John Cena they demolished but of course nothing was as dramatic as the Nexus attacking Mr. McMahon this wraps up this wraps around what we were just discussing the write-offs of Mr. McMahon to the point where the Nexus beat him so bad he was quote-unquote in a coma which was shocking in itself On June 22nd is when we saw the Nexus destroy Mr. McMahon, and he was out for an indefinite period of time, until we saw that dream, that quote-unquote dream angle to where he woke up from his coma during the end of Linda's campaign. Of course, we saw McMahon sporadically come back and forth in the WWE. Of course, we saw him make his way back to the TV screen in response to the famous CM Punk shoot promo which kind of led to another write-off of the Mr. McMahon character, to where Triple H came out to relieve Mr. McMahon of his duties as CEO of WWE, in turn making Triple H his successor and the brand new COO. But we still see Mr. McMahon back on TV, but they don't really describe his role. He's just the boss. I guess you could say you can never take Mr. McMahon out of Monday Night Raw. For almost 20 years, Monday Night Raw has been the staple on broadcast television. 1,000 episodes and counting for the, one of the greatest professional wrestling shows of all time. Regardless of the quality at times, no one can deny the success that the WWE, the WWF, and Monday Night Raw has had. So as we wrap things up, I want to look back at some of the most emotional moments in Monday Night Raw history. We saw many farewell speeches, many retirements on Raw. Some which would result in them coming back, some to where we never see them again, some that were still waiting to return. But here are a few moments that will be embedded in our minds as one of the most emotional moments in Raw history. Who can forget Raw is Owen? I know a lot of you must have been wondering from the last episode of Beyond the Bell, where we discussed the greatest moments from 93 to 99, we missed a certain show that was one of the most memorable. That was because I saved it for the end of this series to discuss the importance of this episode. Raw is Owen. In 1999, we saw the night prior to this show, where Owen Hart passed away in a WWE stunt that went wrong. After all this time, it's still Raw that fans and spectators remember because it was a first. The WWE had never stopped their ongoing storylines for a wrestler. Never. The show would become the highest viewed Raw in history, with a 7.2 rating. To witness these enormous wrestlers who are made to look unstoppable, weep and cry openly, show the important, the actual importance of this Raw. It wasn't about storylines on this night. It was a chance for the WWE to pay their respect to Owen and his family for all he gave to the professional wrestling business.
1: This one's for you! Woo!
2: Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, it'll be a knockdown to drag out tag team matchup. But still to come, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the former champion.
3: In this business, I guess you got a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. (laughs) and Owen he was one of those friends and and there's a lot of funny stories his personality the things he used to do and I've told my wife a bunch of times over the last couple of months that I've been with Owen on the road I see Owen more than I see her my little girl and he said the same thing and now that he's not here, it's, it's, you look at it almost selfishly, that I don't have my buddy, or my friend with me anymore. I don't know Owen's in a better place, laughing and cutting up. But when you really think about Owen's life, I think about integrity, because in this business, it's cold, it's callous, it's selfish, it's self-serving, it's unrealistic, it's a fantasy world. But Owen was real. He was a man's man. His wife and kids. The three of the luckiest people in the world. because he loved them more than anything in the world. And that's why he did what he did to provide for them. And he did it with integrity. And integrity in this business is few and far between. That's not a good thing to know, but it's the truth. And outside of all the laughs, Because on the road, without the laughs, you know, the fans get to see Owen 10, 15 minutes a week. But when you see him 24 hours a day for 10 and 12 days at a time, he's one of the guys that made it fun. Made coming to work entertaining off the camera, and that's just as important as on the camera. Owen I'll make the promise to you. Cause you got two little kids and I've got a little one of my own. As they grow older The only thing that they might have to find out what their dad was like is wrestling films. But I've made a promise to myself as the years go by. I'm going to do my best to let their, to let Oge and Athena really know what a great man you, you were on. I can't okay. I don't
9: know Owen Hart uh, where do I start uh, Owen was uh, the leader of a little merry band of Canadians we call the Canadian Mafia and uh, to me Owen um, was was a a type of guru to me he uh, helped me on the road when it came to uh, traveling or or a match but uh the thing i remember most about owen hart is uh his ability to make me and uh, anyone else laugh and when i think of owen um i smile today it's a little bit tough um but I, I think of some of the things owen did and i had the pleasure to uh wrestle owen in his last match in chicago along with christian against uh him and jeff jarrett and uh I knew Owen was in a, a good mood that night because he came out with his blue and white boots and his uh, black and silver and red outfit. His hair was all messed up. He had a goofy look on his face and he was wearing his time for a change T-shirt. And uh, he got on the corner and he started hitting poses and uh, flexing. And uh, we got into the match and um, I had him in an armbar. He kipped up and uh, he wound up and he gave me a big judo chop with a high yah and shot me down and uh we had a good time that night um that was owen's last match Uh, and it's nice to be able to you know look back on things like that um you know he he just he made us all laugh and he's gonna be sorely missed um i grew up watching owen and i i uh got the opportunity to uh, wrestle on pay-per-views, on TV, and all across the world. Uh, Germany, Raw, you name it. I wrestled Owen, and I traveled with Owen, and uh, to his family, Godspeed, um, we're going to miss you.
0: We saw Brian Pillman's widow speak about her husband's death. Brian Pillman had died only days prior and there wasn't a reason as to how this could happen. It's not often that a wrestler dies when under contract to WWE, to WWE, especially during that time of the late 90s. Now we see more deaths become more prevalent, I hate to say it, but at the time it wasn't as prominent. But Pillman was the first major name that would pass away under contract. WWE owner Vince McMahon conducted an interview with Pillman's wife, turned widow, to address the death of via satellite. The interview did show a widow still in grieving and left many wondering if it needed to be aired on TV. In the end, the interview is one of the saddest moments to ever occur on Monday Night Raw.
5: Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in suburban Cincinnati, uh, the wife of Brian Pillman, Melanie Pillman. Melanie, thank you so much. I'm sure you're distraught, shocked, dismayed over this this news and we thank you very much for for joining us tonight i wonder there's a great deal of speculation obviously Mm -hmm. uh when a 35 year old man who is in competitive condition passes away can you please tell us to end whatever speculation there may be can you what can you tell us about what you have been told uh, as far as brian's death is concerned
10: um well um Apparently there was a uh, problem with his heart, and uh, apparently his heart was put under a lot of stress for some reason. And um, I can't really, uh, you know, tell you for sure what that reason was, but it was apparent heart attack in sleep. And until uh, um, the tests all were back, uh, it, it's kind of inconclusive right now. But um, um, apparently um, his his heart was under a lot of stress.
5: It was there was um, some speculation last night? when we spoke. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian, because of his injuries, has had to take a great deal of prescribed medicine. There's some speculation that he may have taken too much if in fact that is proven to be the case, which it is yet to be. Is mm-hmm. there anything that you would want to say to aspiring athletes who do get hurt and have to resort to prescribed medication, painkillers?
10: Well, Vince, i you know I can't comment on whether that you know I know that my husband well, not only was he an athlete but he was involved in a car accident too when he had extensive injuries from that and, yes um, and um uh, and then after the accident it was a lot harder for him but um I think all athletes to a degree um experience a reliance on pain medicine and um you know I knew it was just a matter of time before um it happened to someone, and um, fortunately, it, it was my husband. And um, I just want everyone to know that um, I hope it's a wake-up call to some, some of you because um, it could be your husband next, or it could be you. And you know, you don't want to leave behind a bunch of orphans, and like me- my husband did.
5: Melanie, how uh, how are the children taking um, this news, and, and do they understand?
10: Well, um, a four-year-old doesn't understand. It. That's little Brian. Um, he, he doesn't understand why Daddy's not coming home. But um, Brittany understands because uh, she's my adopted child, and she's, she's the um, biological child of my husband and another woman, and that woman killed herself two years ago. So Brittany's uh, lost her mom and, and her dad, biological. And, uh, you know, she just screamed for about 15 minutes and um i don't know Vince, it's hard
5: have you it's had really
10: hard but i'm you, doing
5: have you had any opportunity to think about what you now as a single parent will do to support your five children
10: since i don't even uh really know what day it is you know so uh i don't um know what i'm gonna do um but i knew that the outpouring of support that I've gotten from the fans and from the company um, is helping me go on. I mean, just everyone's calling and everyone, the fans and on the internet, and um, people are just supporting me all around. And, and uh, but um, as far as what I'll do after this is over, I don't know. I don't even know Vince. I don't know.
5: Is um, how, how would you? Like for Brian to be remembered by WWF fans and fans all over the world,
10: Vince. I would like Brian to be remembered as just one of the most compassionate and loving men ever, and uh, the greatest father in the world, the best father in the world, and um, he also loved his business, Vince. And um, I guess you could say he lived for this business, and he died for this business, and I hope no one else has to die.
5: Melanie, we thank you very much for joining us tonight, and on behalf of the WWF and its fans and its superstars, you have our heartfelt condolences. Thank you again.
10: Thank you, Vince.
5: And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a video tribute we would like to present. Brian Pillman was a very special person
0: tribute to the troops there is not one tribute to the troops that you could say stands out as everyone was as equally as important as last maybe the first you could say because the inaugural show dedicated to our troops for the WWE to go overseas to afghanistan and iraq in the middle of a war and put a show on for the troops was truly classy When we're at home enjoying the holiday, the troops are out there protecting our freedom. The WB could have simply thanked them, but chose to show their gratitude with what they do best, entertain. As great of an act as this is by the WB, hopefully they won't have to return for many years to come, as this will hopefully wrap up for our troops. And I know over the past couple years, they've decided to be on home bases in the United States, rather than traveling to Afghanistan and Iraq, but still they are entertaining the troops that are protecting our country. The Eddie Guerrero Tribute Show. (sighs) Who could forget that night? It was a sad weekend as Rob approached with the news that Eddie Guerrero had died. The show opened with the entire roster standing as one next to a lowrider car in remembrance of Eddie. They were honoring their fallen friend who had overcome his demons to win the WWE Championship just two years prior. The sadness continued for weeks, and the WWE tried to get back to business. Even in death, Eddie was truly a star. And to this day, I guarantee he is thought about in that locker room on a daily basis. I guess we can say we we can live through Vicky in the spirit of Eddie Guerrero.
8: Eddie was an amazing guy. From a professional standpoint... I will always remember Eddie as being um, one of the best technically in the ring was incredible um, but could do anything I mean Eddie could make you laugh one minute could make you cry the next could make you mad at him could make you j- just run through any emotion he wanted to with the with the twinkle in his eye or a, a smirk on his face or uh you know just the little things he was just a phenomenal talent in every way personally um, eddie to me will always be remembered as a, um, an inspiration i don't know if everybody knows it but it's pretty common knowledge that eddie had a a lot of demons in his life and he had a lot of issues and and a lot of uh a lot of searching, I think, in his life. Um, and he overcame all that uh, to be what he was or what he is. Um, he overcame that, uh, overcame his demons. He overcame the problems he had in his personal life. He's um, got two beautiful girls, beautiful wife, And, um, you know, Eddie had succeeded in life where so many others would have failed. Just uh, want Eddie's wife and kids to know how much they meant. To him, it's all he ever talked about. I know that, uh Somewhere Eddie's going to be looking down on this night, proud that all the guys went out there and put on a show for him. It's what he would have wanted. Eddie was a performer, and Eddie was one of the most talented guys I know. And it's what he would have wanted. He would have wanted the show that has been in his family his entire life to go on. You know, and Eddie's up there somewhere. He's lying to somebody, he's cheating somebody, and and he's stolen all of our hearts. I miss you, man.
0: The nature boy of Ric Flair's farewell speech. There are a select few wrestlers who have had the prestige that Ric Flair carries with them. He is, for many, the greatest of all time. After wrestling nearly every big name in the wrestling business all over the planet, all over, his farewell was filled with the return of legends from his past and the current roster all coming to pay their respect for what he gave to the business. That song, Leave the Memories Alone, was so classic. Seeing the return of the Horsemen, I was, I was able I had the opportunity to be there live in person that whole weekend the, in Orlando the, uh, for the induction to Ric Flair into the Hall of Fame to him facing Shawn Michaels with the career-ending match, and then to the celebration the next night on Raw for his career. What an emotional night. I remember still thinking about it, crying on the airplane back. What a mark am I, huh? But it was an emotional time and an emotional moment on Monday Night Raw.
1: Last night, I wrestled my very last match at WrestleMania. I will never, ever wrestle in this ring again. Please. Please. I... I... I'm not sad about not
7: wrestling. You shouldn't be sad about the fact that you're not gonna
1: see me out here. You should rejoice in the fact that I have had the greatest wrestling career in the history of pro wrestling. And last night, even though I lost, I lost to a great, great, great wrestler and a better man. Truth. Rejoice in the fact that I have wrestled in front of more fans, raised more hell, had more fun, and loved all of you every day of my life. God. I've been teared up all day long with the thought of not being able to come out here anymore, but I'm off. I'm off. And I'm in a good place. And I love you. Please, let me thank you. I want to thank you for the memories. Thank you for the support and most of all thank you all for making me who i am today If you think these people here in Orlando are the only ones that want to say thank you... If you think that the millions of people watching on TV are the only ones that want to say thank you...
6: Well, then, my friend, you've got another thing coming.
8: Because I just, I had to come out here, and I had to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. I love you, man. And thank you, thank you.
1: Now, that takes care of me. But there are a few other people that that wanted to say a thank you too, and. This one group of guys I I started talking to earlier today and it's the craziest thing because ever since I talked to them, my hands been cramping up like this.
0: Then, a couple years later, we saw the farewell speech of the man that retired the nature boy Ric Flair, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. He'd lost the night before at WrestleMania 26, and, per the stipulation of the match, had to retire. Michaels said he didn't really know what he was going to say, but thanked several key people along the way. He thanked his best friend Triple H for never leaving his side when times were tough, which Michaels admitted he had plenty of. He will go on to thank thank Vince McMahon and Bret Hart for dealing with him during these low moments in his career. Michaels will be remembered as one of the greatest wrestlers of the WWE in its entire history, despite his earlier, year, earlier years, you could say, when he was disliked by the roster.
1: You know, when I was 19 years old, I started doing this stuff, and... Uh, at 23... I started coming in to each and every one of your homes every week. And the idea of now being forty-four and I don't know, not uh, not coming into your homes on that TV set every week is gonna be is gonna be a little tough to get used to. Um I got to thank Hunter for being my friend when absolutely nobody else in the world wanted to touch me. Um, There are a lot of people that didn't like me many, many years ago. Um, I was not an easy person to be around. And, And Hunter, buddy, you never once left my side. And... You know, in this line of work, I mean, it's it's a tough line of work, and everybody talks about how it's tough to have real friendships, and it is. But I tell you, Hunter, I thank you so much for the real friendship that I have been able to share with you for the last 16 years. And there's one other guy I gotta thank, and I gotta thank Bret Hart. I cannot tell you how much, back in the 90s, I drove that poor guy crazy. And everything he's ever said about me, you know, he had every right to say it. And I want to thank him for forgiving me, for understanding, accepting, and believing that. I knew that I made the mistakes, I was changed, and I would forever honor his friendship if he'd ever take the chance and give it back to me, and I thank him for giving me that opportunity. I thank you all so much for giving me the honor and the privilege to come out here and let me show off in front of you every night of my life. This is how we started, and this is how we're going to end. Ladies and gentlemen, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, has left the building.
0: Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart bury the hatchet on Monday Night Raw. The Montreal Screwjob will forever be remembered as one of the most controversial moments in wrestling history. Bret Hart was double-crossed. After all the years he put into the wrestling business by his boss, Mr. McMahon, or should we say Vince McMahon at the time, and enemy Shawn Michaels, it would be 13 years until Hart would be in a WWE ring again. He called out Michaels, and the two hugged out their differences, seemingly ending the years of hatred. As Hart forgave Michaels, it was a surreal moment, since some were never sure if Hart would ever return to the WWE. That moment alone when his music hit and we saw the image of Bret Hart on Raw. Who would have ever thought from 1997 that Bret would be back on WWE television? And the moment of the two hugging and embracing and bearing the hatchet was one of the greatest moments in Raw history. And then last year, we saw the sudden announcement, the shocking announcement of the Rated-R Superstar Edge retiring it seemed like a normal edition of raw until edge stated that he was forced to retire and relinquish his world heavyweight championship we were skeptical it all seemed like a storyline but edge's emotions made one think this was legit after the announcement he was welcomed by by the wrestlers in the back with a standing ovation it was real and at 37 years old his career was done the audience was shocked, people crying, as one of the most popular entertainers had to hang up the wrestling boots, hang up his tights, far too early. A lot of people think that the, uh,
6: that the WWE doesn't hurt. Um, that what we do, maybe it's done with smoke and mirrors, and, and I wish that were true. Uh, but anybody in that locker room, anybody who has ever stepped foot in here, laced up a pair of boots, they know that's not the case. Uh, which brings me to what I'm about to tell you, eight years ago, I, uh, I broke my neck. Um, I had spinal fusion surgery, which means they, they move your throat over, they put a plate in there and screws, and it's, it's really in-depth surgery. But because of that surgery, I knew that I was, uh, I was wrestling on borrowed time from that point on. Uh, so fast forward... And uh, the, the last, last little while, I've been in uh, a lot of pain. I, uh, I've been losing feeling in my arms. Um, so I, I, I passed uh, strength tests and all of those things and I, I made it through WrestleMania, but uh, the WWE wanted me to go get more tests. And thankfully I did um, because the MRI showed that, uh, that I have to retire. (laughs) I I mean, trust me, it's not my choice. The, The doctors have told me that, that I got no choice. Uh, and thankfully they found out because I'm not gonna end up in a wheelchair now.
9: Uh,
6: It's a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, you know. God, thank you, guys. I'm
2: going <laughs> show respect for this young man.
1: Deserve it so
6: <laughs> Well, I, I tell you this has been an emotional roller coaster of a week for me and i'm not going to lie i felt sorry for myself i uh until i talked to uh to christian uh and for those of you who don't know christian has been my best friend for 27 years uh and you see, I, I was angry. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my body because I felt like uh, there's a lot of people in this company that depend on me. And I felt like I was letting them down. Uh, I felt like I was letting you guys down. Uh, but then, you know, I was upset too because I didn't feel like I was ending this on my terms. But he reminded me that, that I've, I've competed my whole career on my terms. I, uh... You know, I'm still like all of you. I am a huge fan of the WWE. Every month, Christian and I would go to Maple Leaf Gardens and we would watch all of our favorites. We would watch uh, the Legion of Doom. We'd watch Demolition. We'd watch watch Hulk Hogan. We'd watch all of them and, and just be enthralled. And then I went to WrestleMania six, and I watched Hulk Hogan against the Ultimate Warrior and I said, I'm doing this one day. And you know what? Fast forward a whole bunch of years and I'm main eventing WrestleMania against The Undertaker. There's no way I ever would have dreamed of that. There's no way if you told me when I was 11 years old that I would win more championships than anyone in the history of this company. No way I would have believed you. And if you had told me that my last match would be at WrestleMania in one of the main events defending the World Heavyweight Championship and that I'd be retiring as the World Heavyweight Champion, man, I couldn't dream of a better way to go out. I really couldn't. You know, I I started in the WWE when I was 23. I mean, I've been doing this for 19 years. 14 of them with the WWE. My first match was May 10th, 1996 in Hamilton's Cops Coliseum. And uh, I was 23 years old and I I feel like I've grown up in front of all of you. I feel like uh, I've made a whole lot of mistakes in front of you. I've learned from them and I've become a man in front of you. I've gone from being the the silent guy running around the streets of New York with a trench coat that was way too small for him, to uh, a pseudo-vampire in the brood, to one of the funny, goofy guys along with Christian posing for those with the benefit of those with flash photography. I became one of the most despised guys in the history of the WWE. As a matter of fact, I got thrown in the Long Island Sound. I had a a live sex celebration, thankfully with Lita and not Vicky Guerrero. And I would hope that through it all, I've earned the respect of everyone in that locker room And I hope that I've earned all of your respect. Because no matter what, no matter what, I came out here and I tried to give you guys as much as I had every single night. And in turn, you guys gave it right back to me. So... I'm gonna miss all of this, all of it. I'm gonna miss that reaction when I hear my music and I come out on the ramp. It's like a shot of adrenaline straight to the heart from you guys and and it's amazing, I, I can't describe it. But that being said, I don't have to wear tights tomorrow and I am gonna go eat a whole lot of ice cream tonight. But if you ask me if I would do all of this again, All the way back from getting hired by JR. If you ask me if I'd travel all the roads, log all the miles, hop on all the flights, all the sleepless nights, all the surgeries, all of the injuries, the metal rods in my teeth, all of it.
0: If you ask me if I'd do it again, in a heartbeat. What can you say? 1,000 episodes of Monday Night Raw. Sure. There are plenty of other moments, tons of other moments that we ain't discuss, but with our time restraints, and we can do other themes. I am sure we'll have other themes at Beyond the Bell that will look back at specific moments of Raw, funniest moments, most dramatic, shocking. I'm sure there's plenty of themes we can create from 1,000 editions of Monday Night Raw. So these were just a small, a snippet, a small, a small part. ...of the history of Monday Night Raw... ...the moments that we remember... ...these are personally one one of the greatest moments... ...in my mind... ...in Monday Night Raw history... ...this two-part series... ...showed us the funniest... ...the funnier side of Raw... the ...the dramatic side... ...the shocking... ...surprising side... ...it what... ...this is what makes Raw... ...one of the greatest... ...shows... ...not just professional wrestling... ...shows of all time... ...yes there have been some poor shows but no one can deny that it takes a lot of clout and a lot of stability in an organization to keep a show on for as long as raw has been yes you could say wrestling's different than a sitcom or a certain television show or a genre but raw you cannot deny will stand will hold its place in television history 1000 episodes and they're on their way for another another 1000 with the WWE Network coming about, what? No, who knows what the future will hold for Monday Night Raw? It could be on the WWE Network. Who Monday Night Raw is a staple in professional wrestling. Raw, wrestling, go together hand in hand. If you're a big time, if you're a wrestler on the independent scene, and you want to be a part of the big time, you must make it to Raw. That's what everybody knows. TNA Impact Wrestling is a great organization, 10 years old. But Raw is going on 20 years old. 1,000 episodes. I was there at The World, a.k.a. WWF New York, for the 15th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. When Eric Bischoff was there, they gave away those awards, the Ruckus Awards, I think they called them. Another moment in Raw history. And I thought, wow, 15 years on Monday Night Raw, what what a moment, what a an accomplishment, and I think now we're looking 20 years, 1,000 episodes in, Raw is wrestling.
5: Promotional consideration paid for by the following.
0: It's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. They help bring this pro wrestling nostalgia podcast to you each and every week. Barbershop Window, the place that makes wrestling t shirts cool again to wear. They release brand new shirts each and every week. Follow them on Twitter at BShopWindow and go to barbershopwindow.com now to make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. The SNS Radio Network, your home for pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Get all the latest news and listen to innovative audio released daily. The network is anchored by the two flagship shows, Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown. So go to snsradionetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Ringannouncing.com, the home of the future of ring announcing, Sean Beckerman. You can watch the latest videos and demo reels of Sean Beckerman on the independent wrestling scene. Go to ringannouncing.com and follow the future of ringannouncing. Combat Zone Wrestling on DVD. Catch the ultra-violent wrestling promotion on TV or on your computer. You can purchase all CZW Ultra-Violent events on DVD and stream them live straight on your desktop computer at CZWrestling.com. Get ready to get ultra-violent with CZW. The National Wrestling Alliance. Tried, tested, honored, and revered. These three initials have represented wrestling since 1948. The NWA has been the breeding ground for the greatest stars in wrestling. You can catch the NWA nationwide through multiple affiliates from coast to coast. The National Wrestling Alliance. Go to Wrestling.org preserving tradition and blazing new paths if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for beyond the bell send all requests to btb wrestling at gmail.com join the beyond the bell revolution now it's go time 20 years of Monday Night Raw. So many great moments that we've all shared together in the history of arguably the greatest professional wrestling show on television to date. Sure, the three hours may be long right now, but you cannot deny the success Monday Night Raw has had over the years. And hopefully, we can look forward to another 20 years of Monday Night Raw with even more entertaining characters. And we hope the business is flourishing even more so than it is to this very day. Remember, old school phonetics, you can download all of the archive shows of Beyond the Bell at my official website, ringannouncing.com, as well as SNSRadionetwork.com. For all of you smartphone users, you could download all archive shows directly via iTunes, the Stitcher app, And tune in radio. You can catch new episodes of Beyond the Bell every Monday night, each and every week. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell via Twitter at Sean Beckerman. Become a fan of Beyond the Bell on Facebook. Contribute to the message board at ringannouncing.com under the forum section. Get ready to go back in time to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. Your Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast is here. If you're not listening, you're not trying. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of Beyond the Bell. Not your prototypical episode, but we wanted to celebrate this milestone of 20 years of Monday Night Raw. Until our next edition of the show that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling, I'm your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman Sonioff, and I'll see you at the matches. Good night, everybody. What's gonna happen next week on Monday Night